0: Welcome to the podcast series, Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafter, and today I'll be chatting with Alicia Levine, Chief Operating Officer at Chippecash. Chippecash is a venture capital-backed financial technology company that builds software to enable free and instant peer-to-peer cross-border payments in Africa and Europe, as well as solutions for businesses and merchants to process online and in-store payments. Hi, Alicia. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you doing? Good, good, good. I'm glad we finally recording. We've been talking about this since like mid last year.
1: Yes, yes. A lot has happened since then.
0: I'm excited to dive right in. But how about you give a quick overview on your career, and then I want to hear more about what Chipper Cash is doing.
1: Yeah, great. Um, would would love to start there. And thanks so much for having me as a guest. Really excited of about this. Um, so I think actually what, what you asked me and and kind of when we chatted before you asked me to talk a bit about, um, my life journey and, and what actually led me to becoming the COO of Chipper Cash. Um, and so I'll dive into that a little bit. Um, and as I was just thinking about this question, it just, I think for everyone, it feels like such an interesting time to be sort of, um, reflecting on, you know, how we've gotten to where we are now, um, given COVID and, yes. and given that we've sort of, in a sense, been forced to kind of be where we are, um, in a way that we haven't been forced to be where we are in a long time. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, in 2019, when I joined Chipper, um, I traveled a ton, I think over a hundred thousand miles. Um, and I wasn't even in one place, uh, for any longer mm-hmm. than a few weeks at a time. Um, and I think, you know, COVID has made us all slow down. Um, and I've also had the time to kind of think about, you know, you know, where am I and how did I get here? And, and honestly, actually listening to a lot of podcasts and reading a lot of books. Yeah. Um, and recently one of the podcasts I was listening to was talking about, you know, what are, what are kind of our, our personal values and, and why are we doing what we're doing? And I started thinking about that quite a bit, um, and I started thinking about, okay, what are my personal values and, and how has my life path brought me to where I am? Mm -hmm. And I think that I kind of tried to distill those down into two things. Um, and I think that what's really driven me and, and brought me to where I am is sort of, um, I love sort of learning and really Mm -hmm. learning through experience. Um, and secondly, also just building connections with people. Um, and I think the learning through experience, when I think back on sort of my life, um, I've always loved to travel. Um, mm-hmm. And I started traveling when I was 12 years old. I got an amazing opportunity to go to Japan for two weeks um, wow. as a 12-year-old. And I think that that just kind of unlocked my uh, my exposure to learning through experience. Um, and I kind of think that traveling is like the easiest way to learn in a sense. And sometimes I feel Immerse like a yourself. little bit, yeah, exactly. You're always, always, always learning when traveling. Um, and, and so I think that just opened my eyes to different paths uh, of life. And, um, as I sort of look at my career, I've kind of always gone towards the, you know, how can I do something that's different because it's more interesting because I'm learning something. Yes. And so that was kind of like, in going off to college, I went to like the furthest place I could think of. Um, when I was graduating from college, I just didn't take the job that was sort of easy and right there Mm -hmm. in front of me. Um, I looked to do something different. Where did that Um, stem from? (sighs) You know, it's, it's it's a good question. I think, um, you know, everybody says it's from their childhood and their parents. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, I think it's really from this, like, love of learning and curiosity Mm -hmm. and my early exposure to the fact that traveling and doing different things was like, almost like a hack to learning. Like the easiest way to learn is just to go somewhere new and expose yourself to new experiences and different people. And, and in that way, you're, you're just literally always, always, always learning. Um, and so I think that at various points in my life, you know, when I graduated from college, I, I moved to Peru because I got uh, a job opportunity there um, to teach English, which led to some oh. other things. Um, you know, I I sort of uh, always kind of looked for jobs that were a challenge to me, that had an, an aspect of travel and international exposure. Um, and, and essentially, um, that's actually what led me to becoming COO at Chipper. Um, I got uh, an opportunity to... Take what seemed like not the most interesting job as a project manager, but the company was working on really uh, interesting things in San Francisco, um, including connectivity in Africa. Um, And I took a job as a project manager there um, just after meeting the co-founders. And that led to moving to Kenya, building a company in Kenya, um, getting exposed to um, fintech and financial inclusion, and then meeting uh, the co-founders of Chipper Cash and the rest is sort of history.
0: What are you guys currently doing in the payment space? I, I want to learn more about that. And I'm sure once the pandemic hit, you pivoted a little bit or you you honed in on a specific project.
1: Yeah. So I would say, actually, we we totally doubled down. Um, and so I, I guess just to start out with, um, you know, Chipper Cash, what are we doing? Our, our, well, our mission is really to unlock global opportunities and bring Africa together one transaction at a time. Um, And that's sort of a mission that I'll I'll unpack that a little bit. Um, It it has both sort of the aspect of unlocking global opportunities. And so while we're focused on Africa, we definitely see um, a global opportunity for uh, digital payments. Um, And the second part of that is bringing Africa together one transaction at a time. And that's really a shout out to sort of our core product, um, which is peer-to-peer payments across Africa. Um, and so practically what that means is that Chipper Cash is uh, an app-based uh, peer-to-peer payments service um, that really reduces friction and the cost of sending money across borders in Africa. So um, if you're somebody in Nigeria and you want to send money to, um, to somebody in Uganda for whatever reason, for you know, maybe you run a small business... Maybe you have um, your, your child who's attending college in Uganda and you need to send them um, support to do that, et cetera. Um, download the ChipperCash app, go through the KYC process, um, connect a funding source, which is a bank account or mobile money wallet, um, and you have the recipient do the same. They also download Chipper Cash. Um, and you can send, send, emon- send money to them um,
0: with the, the best sort of cross-border rates um, and, and no fees. I see Chipper cash everywhere and you guys have such big things in store. I, I can't wait to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: And, and with the pandemic, definitely, you know, there's
0: been a
1: focus by, you know, lots and lots of companies and even governments on um, increasing digital payments and the digital payment space. Um, so we've definitely seen more use cases for Chipper cash during the pandemic. Um, and we, we don't see that going away um even as you know the pandemic hopefully hopefully is coming to
0: a close in the next few months we're evolving and and how we've now seen how simple and easy it is to transfer money or or just tap our phones or tap our cards um going and having to draw cash from an atm i know that's really prevalent in africa but i see my peers and people that never used technology to pay um now it's becoming their go to Absolutely. Absolutely. And,
1: and, and I think, um, you know, a a large part of our user base is also sort of the younger set, um, that is more open to trying different ways of transacting. Um, and so they may not even have a bank account, um, or they may, you know, they might use mobile money, but they've yeah. they've seen that they can use something like Chipper Cash and um, not have to pay the the high fees that oftentimes they incur when they're using mobile money to transact locally. Um, and yeah. so they're they're more open to sort of trying out these new things. Um, and once they see that they that they
0: work, it's kind of like why go back. Exactly. Wait, Alicia, I'm excited to take it a few steps back. I want to dive into your earlier years as I was somebody who who researched possible job opportunities every day. Anyone that knew me in high school or university knew that I was just so eager to learn about different opportunities out there. Mm -hmm. And I was blessed to have a career development center at my university Mm -hmm. to to help me navigate my future. You didn't go down the traditional route of applying for jobs, (laughs) but rather created the job that you wanted wanted there there isn't enough education around different career paths mm. how can somebody learn about the vast opportunities out there and and what advice do you have for someone wanting to create their dream job
1: yeah yeah um so thanks for that question and and i i feel like again it sort of goes back a lot of times to what you were exposed to at an earlier age mm-hmm. or you know as you're sort of formulating the ideas of you know what you want to be when you grow up um and I think I, I was really, really, really fortunate to have, um, a, a father who from a very early age, I saw build his own business, um, work really hard to sort of, he, he, became an attorney when I think I was six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. So he was studying for in the U S it's called the bar exam, um, and then built his own law practice. Um, and so we grew up sort of seeing, you know, our, our dad work really hard to build his business and, I remember what, you know, from a young age, him always saying your goal should be work for either work for yourself, which is what he was building his business to do, um, or create your own job. So, okay. Maybe you don't want to work for yourself, but you should be finding, you know, finding a way, uh, to add value to an organization that is both interesting to you Mm-hmm. Um as well as provides value to that organization, I mean, I remember being in sort of you know in my teens or sort of even leading up to college and and thinking like that seems so hard. like what do I have? what value do I have <laughs> yeah. as you know a twenty year old or a twenty one year old to you know graduating from uni or whatever it is to add to you know th- what value do I have to add to a big company? And I remember like one time him bring, bringing a newspaper article to I think it was my sister at the time who wanted to work in health education um and saying you know look look here's this company that's working in the then area that you're interested in why don't you write a letter to this or an email to the CEO I love and that. tell <laughs> tell him you know that that you want him to hire you to do you know X, y, Z. I don't even remember what it was and and we were just like yeah okay whatever that that's too hard we can't <laughs> do that but uh, you know i think that like just having that seed planted um mm-hmm. even you know even though at an early age, we were like, that sounds uh, impossible. Having that seed planted, I think, um, I sort of carried that with me. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned that you were blessed by having a sort of, you know, career services Mm. uh, department at your, at your uni, because I think that sometimes it's a blessing, but also a curse. Um, because I think there's this big fallacy that sort of what's going to get you a job is like having a really great CV and a cover letter and i think that sometimes that works um but i think as you get sort of and maybe this is true further along in your career it's like you need to have the cv and you need to have the cover letter but what you really need is an idea of what you think you want to yeah. do and then just talk to people um you know in your network you know well i guess it's it's a little bit different now with covid um but you know go to events go go expose yourself to people that are working s- in something that has to do with what you think you might want to do. Yes. And yes. it might be fu- in the same function. It might be the same industry. It might be the same region and, and literally just start talking to them and learn about what they're doing. Um, and I think that people, you know, they, they can see passion. They can see, um, you know, somebody who's really motivated and, um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, a lot of times people who are further along in their careers um, are always happy to share, but they're also, you know, sometimes happy to like take a chance on somebody mm. who just really has shown passion um, or interest in what they're doing. Um, and so I think the the most interesting jobs I've gotten have been through, you know, I would call it, I would call it chance, mm. but, you know, on the other hand, I definitely put myself out there. I've, I've you know, I've forced myself to go to these networking events. I forced myself to go to these conferences. I forced myself, you know, to talk to people and I wasn't really feeling like talking to people, but you know, I would go to an event or something in whatever city I was living in and say, okay, I'm going to talk to five people and, um, you know, just see if, you know, what they're doing anything interesting. And if I want to continue talking to them and, and, um, and then eventually you, you start planting a lot of seeds and, um, eventually, you know, some of them start to grow,
0: surprisingly. I couldn't agree more. What I did in my early days is I tried out so many different internships. And mm. this was a point mm-hmm. where I knew it was only going to be four months. I went into university, study business marketing, and it was so easy and it could have easily turned down to just going and working for a marketing agency because yeah. that's what everyone else was doing. Yeah. So what I did is I tried different industries and different positions and departments within different internship experience I had. And I realized, okay, I did not want to do anything that I initially thought I wanted to when I stepped yeah. through the doors of university. So the one piece of advice I have for anyone stuck and and people come to me saying they have no idea what they're passionate about. And I yeah. say, if you don't try something, you'll never find what yeah. your passion is. You might think social working in social media is it, you have an image of what that is. And then you work there and you realize it's nothing like what you thought to, <laughs> exactly. it, thought to be. Um, so for me, I'm like, just try new things yeah. um, and, and I, meet new people. Yeah.
1: And, and actually you're reminding me of an example of um, when I was actually in a job that I was learning in, but I wasn't super passionate about. I saw that there was actually an opportunity to do pro bono work
0: um, mm, with a yes. nonprofit.
1: Um, and so I was still in my sort of consulting job And I started doing pro bono work for that nonprofit and that ended up turning into the, um, the, the consulting work or the pro bono work that I was doing at the nonprofit ended up turning into a full-time job Exactly, because I liked working with them. They liked working with me. Um, and so it was, you know, it was able, I guess, to do exactly what you're, what you're referring to, but like test something out, um, but still have the comfort of not needing to quit my job and do something (laughs) which seemed quite crazy at the time. Um, but But yeah, I would say, so companies are like open to pro bono work, to consulting. um, And once they know you, uh, you know, you've worked with them either pro bono or on a short-term consulting project, they're much more likely to create a space for you. Um, And oftentimes when you, when you're a volunteer or you do, you know, just a short-term project, you also have the ability to define that project, which could lead into a job that you're essentially building for yourself.
0: And now you're the COO, you're supporting the CEO, but the overall job spec of a COO changes every day. We were laughing at how jobs chop and change, especially in the startup environment. Mm. And what the heck is a COO? (laughs) (laughs) How was this learning? How was this learning curve when you first joined Chippecash? Yeah, well, um, I can say that the
1: COO role definitely did not come with a job description. Yes, um, it never does. <laughs> so, never. So, so that was absolutely the first thing that I had to, had to work on in a sense. Um, but, you know, I, I think when I, when I joined Chipper Cash, my main objective was really to um, complement the CEO um, and our other co-founder who was the uh, head of product and engineering. And to sort of see, okay, where are their gaps? Um, But essentially, how can I start taking things off of the plate of the CEO Mm -hmm. so that he can focus on things like fundraising or, you know, talking to strategic partners or Mm. any of these other things that, you know, I know that he is amazing at um, and that he loves doing. Um, but other things like managing, uh, you know, a team of 10 direct reports just, just didn't make sense to him. Yeah. Um, so, so the first thing that we kind of looked at was like, okay, what can, what can I kind of just take off of your plate? Um, so that you can do more of the things that like you as the CEO only you can do and that you're really, really good at, by the way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so, so it was a lot about like, okay, how do we shift things off of your plate? Um, and, and then the second thing, you know, after sort of a number of weeks in the organization and, and kind of chatting with people, I saw things that I really thought would just really improve the organization um, globally. Uh, and so at that point in time, we were, I think, about 20 people globally um, and we were setting ourselves up to grow and, and scale quickly. And, and, and in regards to number of users and even the team size, the, the company had grown quite a bit in the few months um, before I joined. And so there were a number of things that I would say in the first few months uh, were really key priorities for me. Um, one was around really improving internal communications um, within the team. So they had grown from sort of 10 to 20. They were, you know, Mm. even less, they had been like a small group that, you know, could chat on a regular basis over WhatsApp or just in a few Slack channels. Um, and then they had suddenly grown to like 20 or 25 people. Mm. And and at some point you just, you can't have one-on-one conversations or personal conversations or the entire company in every meeting knowing what's going on. And so you have to sort of, um, institute some sort of, um, types of, uh, uh, organized internal communications. Um, and when I say internal communications, one of the, the other main things that I saw that really, really, you know, to me seemed really important as we were setting ourselves up to, to grow was alignment of the team around our company objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then around, really around our mission as an organization and what our values were. Um, because, again when you're small you you don't really need to codify those things everybody yeah. just kind of just lives them and they know them and they you know it, but as you know as we were getting to 20 30 40 people it became really clear that um, we needed central a centralized way of communicating our organizational goals um, and making sure that everybody was aware of them and tracking them um, and then you know what is our mission codifying that what are our values codifying those um, and making sure that everybody just understood where we were headed as an organization. Um, so I'd say that was, that was kind of like number two was communication, but that kind of also, you know, communication indirectly led itself to alignment around organizational goals, alignment around mission and, and values, etc.
0: This leads perfectly into the next question because I know that you recently adopted the OKR goal-setting tool. How has this been? Um, do you feel like this is a great way to measure success in the business? Mm-hmm. Are your teammates more driven and focused? How have you found it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's not as recent anymore. I mean, I think it was probably about about a year
0: ago. Yeah, that was when we first yeah. <laughs> spoke. A year ago was like when you were first adopting this. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and so, you know, like like I just mentioned for me, the, the thing that was honestly most important, which I think is sort of a precursor to everything else is just alignment around like, what are we trying to achieve? Mm. Um, and so I really liked the sort of structure of OKRs because, you know, one of the main objectives of having OKRs is essentially making them public with, within the company, um, mm. and making them very transparent, um, and so, one of the first things that I did when when we started saying okay, we're going to start using OKRs is making sure that um, in every we have a, a company uh, monthly all hands. So in every all hands, I talk about the OKRs um, and you know how they well they're, they're quarter first of all I guess the, also their quarterly OKRs, which helps mm-hmm. us sort of um, things are changing quickly and moving quickly. So um, while we have sort of um, annual objectives. We um, kind of break them down into quarterly okRs, which is what we share internally with the team and talk about every month. Um, but I think just making those public, making those transparent, and talking about them um, every month, internally with the entire company, helps us understand, okay, look at look at the various parts of the business and what's actually happening. And Mm. the OKRs provide us a framework against which we can have discussions about what's going on, what's impacting our business, what's going well, what's not. Um, And also the other goal of the OKRs is really to try to help people connect what they're doing on a day-to-day basis to where Mm. we're going as a company. So if I'm a... Customer operations person, and I spend eight hours a day responding to customer inquiries, sometimes it's really hard for me to see like how is that actually pushing the organization ahead. Mm. Um, But when we talk about our monthly OKRs in our all hands meeting, we can very clearly see that okay, one of our main objectives is around monthly active users. And we know that the more we support our customer base. The more engaged our user base will be, and so I try really hard, and and I I know the the other leaders within the organization try really hard to make sure that even though right now, to be honest, we're we're really focused on the company level OKRs, and and hopefully we do have some other departments or some other teams that use them internally with their teams. I would love to see them, you know, uh, built out across every team and and drill down to each individual, Um, but still at at a company level we try to as we talk about the company level OKRs, um, make sure that people can connect what they're doing on a day-to-day basis with those monthly OKRs um, and how they, you know, and what they're doing has an impact on those, on those, those company wide OKRs.
0: When the pandemic first hit, my team switched from KPIs to mm-hmm. to OKRs, yeah. and I love it. First of all, you can keep track digitally. You can see how you're contributing to the business through mm-hmm. a percentage. Um, you also see how the rest of the team is doing. If you if they need help, how you can support different people. Um, I also just I love that it is so open. Yeah. Um, it also keeps it, it keeps you accountable. Um, I my team knows this. I'm such an an OKR free guy Um, it really really drives it drives me that's that's me being honest versus just knowing every quarter tool that you use to track okrs yes so we have this tool called Mm ally a-l-l-y one it is not that expensive it um is digital it's integrated Mm -hmm. with slack it's integrated with Mm -hmm. other systems as well you can integrate it with your crm Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's gorgeous it's beautiful Mm -hmm. um and we Mm -hmm. use it across the business um every department is linked Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and I think uh, you you know you hit the nail on the head too with what I like about OKRs it's really bringing transparency bringing transparency because I think especially with so many teams remote so many teams global so many teams you know digital digitally based um it's it's just so important to see, um, to have that transparency and to be able to have everybody able to see what's going on with their colleagues and in different teams. And and again, connect back to how am I impacting, you know, how is me sitting in front of my computer all day, all, you know, quote unquote, all by myself, <laughs> impacting, yes. you know, how the company is doing.
0: Alicia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you? I think LinkedIn it works really well. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I I always love chatting to you. Thanks so much, Stacey. Enjoy your day. Bye. You too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. Feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at Talent in the Cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent, expanding your team, or you yourself are looking for a new, exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.